1: It's been a good day in church this morning, God uh, spoke to my heart this morning, I know He spoke to your heart as well, and I enjoyed all the patriotic music, didn't you? Yeah, you know, it's still alright to be patriotic, it really is, it's alright to have a flag and wear red, white, and blue and eat hot dogs on July 4th weekend, say amen right there. I was a little bit worried I wasn't going to get a hot dog this year, this would have been the first year of my life on July, but we're having them tonight, so I'm excited about that, and uh, I love it. I got saved when I was uh, 21 years old, and uh, I don't really ever give my testimony because I don't like the glory in what I used to be, but I got saved out of the world, just you can imagine that. I've been raised in church, religious, you, you might say, but lost. There's a big difference in being religious and being born again. It's not the same thing. Now I had Christian parents, and my little, my younger brother—I call him Little—he'd come and whoop me. He's big, but anyway, my younger brother—he got saved early in life. I remember when the preacher came to our house and talked to us about joining the church. It was more of a liberal church, and he said, "Now to join the church, you got to get baptized." And I thought, "Well, that'll please my mom. That'll make Dad happy. I'll get baptized." I had no idea why or what I was doing, but I did. I got baptized. I guess I was probably 12, 13 years old, and uh, so 21 years of age, I went to a little country church in West Virginia, and that preacher just preached. And I think that's why I'm such a big fan of it, because that's what got me in, in Bible preaching. I sat in a more liberal church 21 years of my life, service after service, hardly missed a Sunday, and never once got convicted of my sin, never once got drawn to an altar during an invitation. And so I don't have much use for the other, but that helped me. I went one time, and the Holy Spirit of God dealt with my heart and uh, showed me I needed to get saved. My father-in-law, now he's my father-in-law, gave me a pamphlet written by John R. Rice. I carry that in my, my study Bible, not this one, but my other one. And it's got a pair of bloody hands on the front of it. And uh, it's about soul winning. He said, take this back to your college apartment when you get there, read this. And he had underlined some verses, and I read that and uh, gave the gospel clearly. And in my college apartment, I bowed my head. I didn't walk the aisle in church. I've told you that before. But that night in my college apartment, I got saved, got born again. So I was 21 years old. Um, let's see, July, July 29th. My wife, Desiree, and I got married, I was 22 years old at the time, she was 19 years old. And I shouldn't say that out loud, we're gonna have a lot of young people making bad decisions. But anyway, uh, sorry parents, 20, she was 30 and I was a 53. But anyway, we got married. We moved from West Virginia to Charlotte, North Carolina. I, I got hired on staff at a, a large ministry there that used to be a good fundamental ministry and now it's just, it's just gone. But uh, in the fall of that year, without a doubt, on a Sunday morning, I was sitting in a church service, and uh, God reached out with his unseen hand, grabbed me by the heart, and called me to preach. I couldn't explain it to you. I mean, I didn't have uh, any, any kind of training, anything. I just knew God wanted me to preach. I'd been teaching in a Christian school, and I remember sitting there in that uh, classroom and watching the clock hands go around. And... Uh, as those clock hands would go around the clock face, honestly, I sat there and thought I'm wasting my time in these four walls and people are outside dying and going to hell. And, uh, I went to the principal's office and told him one day, I said, I'm I'm quitting my job. I'm going to quit. And he said, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go into the ministry. I didn't even know how to get into the ministry. I thought, do you break in? I didn't have have any idea. And I said, I'm going to be an evangelist, a preacher. I'm going to do something. So we quit. And, uh, Moved and God began to open doors. But since then till, till now, I've, I've been in almost every state in America preaching. I've been all across the country. There's a couple I haven't been to yet, a couple of them I'd like to go to. If, if there's preachers watching in Hawaii, I'd love to preach there. But they've never called me. But all over the place. And God gave us a burden for America. And that burden hadn't changed. Still want to see God do something in America, don't you? but I think it's even heightened a little bit more now because of a little fellow about two and a half feet tall that sits right there beside of that lady and, uh, named Lincoln. And I worry about he doesn't He doesn't think anything of the condition of our country. It's nothing to him. But this past week as we were out of, sta- out of town out of, and th- watching people with masks everywhere, we never had that growing up. I never, I never even saw anybody wearing a mask except for maybe at the hospital. And now you see it everywhere. I remember a few years ago when I'd fly, I'd see people from other countries wearing them, but never any American people wearing them. You know, I never thought that would be here. And now you can't even go outside. I saw people today driving to church, a mom and a dad walking their four-year-old daughter. The mom and dad had on masks and the four-year-old didn't. Now, if that makes sense to you, then I I don't know what the hell, I can't help you tonight, but that's where we're at. On uh, what day was it, Friday? Friday. I don't, think, I don't see Trey. Trey was riding next to me. He said, I'm going to build a church and want you come preaching it one day. And I thought about that. And I thought, they don't pick up where we're at in America right now. They still have hopes and dreams and visions to do something and do something for God. Man, we're at a serious place in our country, aren't we? And it's not time to play at this thing. We need God to meet with us. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 1. We'll read the first five verses tonight. I'm not going to preach so much a patriotic message. I hope it's just a helpful message, but that was on my heart tonight. Just, I want to see God do something in our country. But I tell you what, more than that, I tell you what we need is for God to do something in our church. In our church. Our nation will reflect a little bit the character of our church, the uh, spirit of our church, and we need God to work. Joshua chapter number 6. Let's read verse number 1 down through verse number 5. You can just... Can, well, let's stand. We always stand. I was going to let you stay seated, but some of you need to wake up. So let's stand. Joshua chapter 6, verse number 1. The Bible says, Now Jericho was straightly shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out, and none came in. And the Lord said unto Joshua, See, I have given into thine hand Jericho. Now, this is interesting, and I hadn't meant to say anything about it, but it's funny. God said, I've already given you the victory, and they hadn't even started to march yet. Yeah. And can I say that in our Bible, God's already given us the victory? Yes. Man, we've not gotten to the other shore yet, but we've already been assured of it here in this book. Thank God for that, the promise of victory. And the king thereof, and the mighty men of valor, and ye shall compass the city, all ye men of war, and go round about the city once, thus shalt thou do six days. And seven priests shall bear before the ark seven trumpets of ram's horns, and the seventh day ye shall compass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. And it shall come to pass that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn, and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, all the people shall shout with a great shout, and the wall of the city shall fall down flat, and the people shall ascend up, every man straight before him. Let's pray. Lord, I pray for your power, please. I pray that you speak to the hearts of our church family tonight. I pray for words. I pray for wisdom. I pray that you'd meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Have you ever heard the song before, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came a-tumbling down? If you've not heard it, I'm going to sing it to you, so you might want to say you've heard it. <laughs> Joshua fought, thank you, Joshua fought the battle of Jericho and the walls came tumbling down. And we sing it, and it sounds like a quick thing, Joshua fought the battle, the walls came down, but in fact, that's not how it happened. It didn't happen instantaneously, it didn't even happen in an hour, it didn't happen in a day. It took several days of marching before the walls came down. Let me give you a couple of illustrations. One day, George Mueller began praying for five of his friends. After many months, not minutes, but after many months, one of them came to the Lord. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was saved. Mueller persevered in prayer until his death for the fifth friend. And throughout those 52 years, he never gave up, hoping that he would accept Christ. His faith was rewarded for after his funeral... The last one was saved. The walls, Mueller prayed. They stood. He kept praying. The walls stood. But after days, months, years, and then after his death, eventually, the walls fell. In the diary of John Wesley, there's a little excerpt, and it says this, Sunday morning, May the 5th, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday evening, May the 5th, preached in St. John's. The deacon said, get out and stay out. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday morning, May the 12th, he said, preached in St. Jude's. By the way, that's his problem. Too many saints here (laughs) anyway. (laughs) Preached in St. Jude's. Can't go back there either. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday morning, May the 19th, preached in St. somebody else's. (laughs) The deacons called a special meeting and said, I could not return. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday evening, May the 19th, he said, I preached on the street. I got kicked off the street. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday morning, May the 26th, he said, I preached in a meadow. I got chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during my service. (laughs) He and I have preached in some of the same churches. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. Sunday morning, June the 2nd, here's what he said, preached out at the edge of town. I got kicked off the highway. He marched, but the walls didn't fall. But then came June the 2nd, the evening service. In his diary, he wrote, this afternoon I preached in the pasture, 10,000 people came to hear me. God. You say, what happened? He just kept on marching, Amen. and the walls eventually fell. Yeah. My message to us tonight is this. All of us have walls in our life. All of us have things that we'd like to see happen. All of us have things we'd like to see accomplished. All of us have needs, all of us have burdens, all of us have opposition, all of us have adversity, all of us have obstacles. There are walls in our life. Some of these walls may seem big, they might seem thick, they're large, they're looming, they seem like they're impenetrable and they won't move. But the message is very simple tonight, don't quit. Don't quit marching. Just keep marching around the walls because here's the Bible promise, eventually the walls will fall. Jericho was the strongest fortress in the land of Canaan. It's the key to conquering the entire region. I would say it was a joyous event in the life of Israel when the walls of Jericho finally crumbled to the ground. They didn't fire a single arrow. They didn't lose a single soldier. They didn't have to bludgeon the walls with a battering ram. They didn't cast stones upon the walls. They simply obeyed God, marched around the city, and the unseen hand of God leveled the walls of Jericho. It's an amazing thing. It's a miraculous day. As the walls came down, the shouts of victory rose up. Can you imagine the relief? Can you imagine the rejoicing? Can you imagine the revival in the camp of Israel as they watched God come through and give them the victory? Now, can I stop and say, it doesn't just have to be on those big days when the walls of life fall that you and I have the joy of the Lord and victory in Jesus, but I'm glad you and I can live on the victory side every single day of our lives. I got positional victory the day I got saved. I got birthed and placed onto the winning side. And revival's not just a series of meetings set aside in the fall nor the spring. It's just the practical, daily, normal life of a child of God. The walls falling meant that Israel was on their way to conquering Canaan. The walls falling brought them closer to their inheritance. The walls had stood before them, almost mocking them as they marched around them day by day, but now those walls had fallen. What a big day. What a banner moment in the life of Israel when those walls finally came tumbling down. Now let's think about this for a minute. For 400 years, Israel had been in bondage in Egypt. For 400 years, they'd been slaves. For 400 years, they'd been in chains. For 400 years, they'd been the target for the whips of the taskmasters. It seemed like God had forgotten them and God had forsaken them and God had forfeited his relationship with them. And They were there, their life was hard and the cry of their affliction, thank God, reached the ears of God. You know the story. God met their need by sending them a man. By the way, God always meets the need of a generation by providing a man or a lady that will stand for truth and right. And can I say, where we live today in 2020, we're past due for a man or a lady that'll hear the word of God, the voice of God in their life, and take a stand for truth and right. Israel, for 40 years, has now been wandering in the wilderness. Moses has led them out of bondage. If you study it out over and over again, Moses has to not just lead them out of bondage, but to keep them from going back To bondage. I don't know about you, but I know me well enough to say this my flesh is fairly fickle. In fact, my flesh is real fickle. My flesh is schizophrenic. It's up and down, in and out, on and off. Uh, I mean, it's just, it wars against the spirit every day of my life. But aren't you glad you study out the wilderness journey of Israel? Though they were fickle, God is faithful. And I'm glad for the faithfulness of God. Even though they messed up and made a few days trip take uh, several uh, decades, I'm glad God remained faithful. Now they're on the brink of crossing Jordan. Moses dies and Joshua picks up the mantle of Moses. And the hand of God that once rested upon Moses, thank God, rests upon Joshua. Moses led God's people out. Joshua gets to lead God's people in. In Joshua chapter three, they cross the Jordan. They leave the wilderness for the wonderful land of Canaan. Now they're gonna get houses they didn't build. Uh, They're gonna get to drink from wells they didn't have to dig. They're gonna enjoy blessings that they did not deserve. All of it a testimony to the goodness of God in their life. If you read Joshua chapter three, all they do is follow the instructions of God. They step into the brink of the Jordan River, the priests do, and as they step there in the Jordan, the unseen hand of God, like at the Red Sea, parts the Jordan River's back so it stands upon an heap and they cross over on dry ground. In Joshua chapter 4, God magnifies Joshua in the sight of Israel. And I'll say it again, he promises that as his hand had rested upon Moses, the older man, thank God it rested upon Joshua, the younger man as well let me stop and just say this to the younger men, and especially the teenage men, the younger fellows in the building tonight. I'm glad that God is not just a past tense God. I'm glad he's not just God yesterday. I'm glad he's God today, and thank God he'll be God forever. I'm glad he's not just a God that did. He's a God that does and a God that still can do. And I thank God for the way he moved in the past. And I'm glad for the way he manifested himself in our memory. But aren't you glad he's not dead and he's not done and he's not through in our generation? I thank God for how he used D.O. Moody. But when D.O. Moody died, God didn't. I'm glad he used Charles Spurgeon. But when he died, God didn't. I'm glad he used these other men we talk about. But when they died, God didn't. And I'm glad in our generation, the same God, the same power, the same presence, the same promise of God is available for you and I. The message to Israel from God is to go forward and conquer Canaan. By the way, God never desires his people to go back, always to go forward. When you come to chapter 5, he consecrates Israel unto the Lord. He rolls the reproach of Egypt off of his children. At the end of the chapter, Joshua and Israel are camped within the long shadows of Jericho's walls. Their orders are to conquer Canaan. But before them stands this fortified city surrounded by walls that looked like they would never come down. Now, I imagine they're kind of like you and I are today. No doubt they got their analytics out and began to survey the situation and wanted to talk about how it could not be done. By the way, if you're a young preacher, I'd advise you don't hang around a crowd that wants to talk about how it cannot be done. Even if you're not a young preacher and you're just a person that has any kind of a sense at all, don't hang around a Christian that wants to talk about how it cannot be done. But I can see as they stood there and began to analyze the situation, began to measure the height, the width, the breadth of those walls, and in human estimation, it looked like an impossible situation. Joshua gets a visit from the captain of the Lord's host. I believe the Lord Jesus met with him there outside the walls of Jericho, and he gives him instructions for conquering the city. Now, in Joshua chapter 6, the Bible says Jericho is straightly shut up. No one's going in, and nobody is getting out. It looks, from the human perspective, that Jericho's a settled situation, and the walls will never come down. Joshua could have consulted every uh, every architect. He could have consulted every general contractor. He could have called up every mason, every plumber, every electrician, every window man, every carpet guy, and every person with spare time and an opinion, and asked them what they thought about the situation. And they all would have said the same thing: those walls are not going to fall, Jericho. Jericho is famous for those walls. The walls around Jericho define the city. Other cities might be easy prey, but Jericho is built for battle. In Deuteronomy chapter nine, the Bible says the walls of Jericho tower up to the heavens. I was studying this yesterday. I came to the church uh, in the afternoon and did some work and uh, I found that most commentators agree the walls around Jericho were about six feet thick and 15 feet high. Archaeologists think maybe there were even three uh, series of walls that would climb the hill up to Jericho. One after the other, stone and earth and wood and these walls would cover uh, an area of over six, acres surrounding that city these walls weren't flimsy these walls weren't frail they weren't just thrown together piecemeal or without purpose they were tall they were thick they were sturdy they were built to last and meant to stand the walls of Jericho were large enough to live on chariots could race around the top of those walls the walls of Jericho were made up with large stones and wood and earth and impossible for man to move now here's the need the need is for the walls to come down. But here's the problem: The prospect of the walls falling seem impossible to the average Israelite. Picture it with me. In the theater of your mind, look at them. They're standing there in the shadows of those walls. They're small. Those walls are huge. They're weak. Those walls are strong. They're uneasy and nervous. Those walls are steady and sure. I'd say fear and doubt, apprehension, begin to overcome. Between them and victory are those walls. Between them and conquering are those walls. Between them and their inheritance are those walls. Between them and the will of God are those walls. If they don't defeat Jericho, they can't enjoy Canaan. If we don't defeat our Jerichos, we can't enjoy Canaan either. I remember in seventh grade, boy, this just popped in here, not on the outline. It's probably not going to be spiritual at all. But I remember in seventh grade playing football and we went to a place called Braxton County, West Virginia to play football. My dad will watch the service and text me and, and pick on me after this for telling it because he talks about it all the time. In and, and West Virginia, there's no city schools anymore because there's not enough people. So it's all consolidated county schools. And I was small in seventh grade. I'm not real big now, but I was like four foot uh, six or something like that and maybe 98 pounds, you know, seventh grade. I mean, Lincoln is about my height when I was in seventh grade. It was something. I mean, all, all the girls were like four feet taller than the guys in seventh grade. But anyways, just, and they had me playing fullback and middle linebacker. If you know anything about football, that's perfect for a little guy. And I remember lining up on defense and inside linebacker and the fullback from that other school got back there and he was twice the size of my dad. I mean, that had to have been like his fourth year in seventh grade. He looks like some of the kids in our Christian school preacher. I mean, he's been there a while. But anyway, he was back there on the other side. And I promise you, I was lined up over here, and he got there. And I moved, I, this is, I moved over here, and he fought, he watched, he, he followed me. And they said, hut, and the next thing I know, I was just staring at the stars. You know, I just got into the uh, astronomy business in a hurry. He knocked me flat. But that whole night, he was in between me and where I had to get. He was an immovable object. You know, some things in life are like that sometimes. Now, we know the story. The Lord lays out the plan for bringing the walls down. The Lord tells it to Joshua, and then Joshua tells the children of Israel. Now, remember this. The walls have to come down. I'm going somewhere, and I'll get there in a minute. That's the goal. That's the need. The thing that has to happen is the walls have to fall. Those walls... That fills their thoughts The walls That fills their conversation That consumes their lives At this moment So what's God going to do I don't know Maybe God's going to tell them Get all the men in Israel And charge headlong Into the walls What's God going to do That makes sense to me Maybe he's going to say uh, Get all your weaponry together And with all your firepower At one time Blast the walls of Jericho I don't know That makes sense to me I mean what's God going to do Maybe God's going to tell Israel Charge forward And launch spears And arrows over the walls And take the city The walls have to come down So what's God going to do Well, Joshua chapter six, we read it together. God gives them instructions for pulling down the stronghold of Jericho. In verse two through five, he sums it up. And I won't read it all because we know the story, but basically he says, beginning in verse three, he said, take a walk around the city. He said, here's what I want you to do. You don't have to use a spear. You don't have to get out a sword. You don't have to load in a chariot, nothing like that. I want you to get all the mighty men of valor, get the priest, get the ark, and I want you to walk around the city once per day for six days, don't say amen, don't shout, don't say glory to God, don't even whisper a word, just walk around the walls. That doesn't make any sense. I want those walls to come down. That's not what I want to hear. I need those walls to fall. I want action. I don't want to wait. I definitely don't want to be silent. I want to do something to bring the walls down. God says, you just do that. You just march around the walls. Don't say a word, just march around. You do it every day, one lap. Can you imagine that? One lap. All right, go back to your tent, go to sleep. Get up the next morning, here we go. All right, go back to your tent, go to sleep. Six days, can you imagine how that must have weighed on the faith And the faithfulness of the children of God, those walls laughed at them as they marched around. Those walls mocked them as they marched around. Those walls stared back at them unmoved as they marched silently around. They marched and no results. They marched and no movement. They marched and no victory. They marched and they marched and they marched and the people inside the city were just as safe as they were before they crossed the Jordan. What a trial of faith. What a test! of perseverance now we kind of make light of it I, I preach to young people sometimes about that and we act it out but can you imagine how discouraging it is to march and, march and march and march and march and march and march and what you want and what you pray for and what you long for and what you need to see doesn't come to pass can you imagine in the camp of Israel how discouraged they were after a couple of days of no fruit a couple of days of no results a couple of days of the wall? not falling I imagine they got mocked from the inside I imagine folks began to shout over the walls what are you doing I'd say the inhabitants of the city began to sneer and jeer at them day by day for six days six laps one per day they marched and nothing happened marching but no results marching but no action marching but no conquering marching and the walls just stood there every day those soldiers go back to their tent their children say daddy Did the walls fall? Mm -hmm. No, not yet. Their wives, hey, honey, did the walls fall? Nothing's happened yet. Can you imagine how that would weigh on the heart? That's what they need to happen. It has to happen. If it doesn't happen, they can't enjoy Canaan land. The walls have to fall. Mm -hmm. On the seventh day, God says, march around the walls seven times. On that last lap around, We're going to pick up business a little bit. So on that last day, they march around seven times, one, two, three, and then all of a sudden, they strike up the choir. They blast the trumpets. The people shout with a great shout and the Bible says the walls of Jericho fell down flat. Every night for six days those soldiers went to bed discouraged. Every night for six days they went home and say nothing happened. Every night for six days they'd have to go home and testify. We did what God said but there's no result. but thank God I'm glad I can report to you tonight. They kept marching and eventually those walls did fall. Can you imagine how exciting it would have been on that seventh day as they made that last lap around and all of a sudden there was a quake and a shake in the earth and those stones began to tremble and those walls that the world said couldn't yeah. be moved and those walls that the world said couldn't be shaken and those walls that the world said would never come down began to tremble on their foundation and the same hand of God that part of the Red Sea and the same hand of God hey that have brought them through the wilderness and the same hand of God that had been strong in their life before yeah. it swept through that place and brought those walls down they marched and they marched and they marched but the key was they didn't stop marching they kept on going they kept pressing forward they kept marching and the walls came down let me ask you a question what is it in your life right now that seems like it won't move what is it in your life right now that's one of those i just can't do it kind of things is there a burden that you have that's just too heavy is there a need that appears too great is there a problem that you can't solve on your own Is there a situation that seems like it's falling apart and you can't gather up the pieces fast enough? What's in your life right now that's just as impenetrable as Jericho? What's your obstacle? What's your need? What's your burden? What's your prayer request? There's a million things that make us all different, but there's something that makes us all the same. All of us have something like this in our life. Mine might not be yours, and yours might not be mine, but we all have something like this. Who is it that you've been praying for to get saved, and they're still not saved? I mean, they're on your mind right now. They're in your heart. You've got a lost friend, and if they died right now, they'd split hell wide open. And you've been praying, and you've been crying out to God, and you've been begging God to save their soul, and that wall is just standing there mocking you, laughing. You're marching around, but it's not shaking. I want to encourage you. Keep on marching. One day that wall might fall. Well, I remember seeing people get saved through the years in churches and, and you'd show up and preach a meeting and you'd just get to reap the fruit of a man who'd stayed there and plowed that field. And, and, and I'd see folks sometimes get saved and the preacher said, we've been praying for that man for five years. We were praying for that man for 10 years or that lady for however long and see him get saved. Hey, who is it? Keep praying. Hey, don't you quit praying for your husband to get saved. Don't quit praying for your wife to get saved. Don't quit praying for your family, your children to get saved. You say, it doesn't seem like it's working. I tell you what, not praying for them isn't gonna work. Who's that lost, not just lost, who's that prodigal person on your heart? A prodigal child, a prodigal son. I've been praying for him for years and he's never gotten right. It's not worth it, it won't work. I tell you, you just keep marching and watch the wall fall. I remember preaching one time, and I won't name where it is because, I mean, so many people watch the videos here, but I remember preaching a meeting our first year traveling. And it was such a weird time because, you know, my schedule was just, I didn't have a schedule. So anyway, we were preaching this place. And it went on for a few days, and it was just one of those weeks where I actually had a place I had to go back to North Carolina and preach at a high school chapel so we got through that meeting and it was the last night of the meeting and I'm going to use a term that maybe you'll get maybe you won't but they say this from where I, where I come from it got on that means it was a good meeting and so they said could you stay and we'll extend it another week and this is back when you could, I, could, I could have extended it another year I was hoping they would you know, but we extended it another week I told the, the preacher, I said, I'd love to stay, but I, I said, I don't have any money. I can't pay for this room anymore. And it was a small place. And, and, and I said, I don't know. I, I just don't get it. I, I mean, God's moving, but we can't stay. And this old farmer came up in overalls. In fact, his, his, he was a friend of Billy Kelly. If you ever heard of who, who, Billy Kelly, he was one of his friends. And he reached in the top pocket of his overalls and pulled out three $100 bills and said, go get you a hotel room for three more nights. God's going to do something. He gave, he gave us that $300. And I remember also he gave us some ramps. Remember that? And man, that hotel stunk. Uh, our room did ramps you don't know what that is those are onions on steroids that grow in the mountains but anyway wild things i went back and preached and it was the worst couple days of my life preaching i thought why did we stay you always want to end with them wanting more not with them wanting you to leave and so we we kept going it came down to that last service, and i mean i just couldn't wait to get out of there and a fellow walked in halfway through the message long hair down to his shoulders and a a camouflage jacket on and just rough around the edges and he sat in the back and I thought who is this fella? and I preached during the invitation he came down to the altar and I thought he's going to get saved hallelujah as he was coming up the preacher left the platform went down began to hug that fellow I thought man they love sinners around here I mean he just hugged him his wife, his wife was in a wheelchair. She kicked that thing in like fifth gear, laid rubber on the carpet, and sped over to where that fellow was. And she began to hug around him too. And I thought, man, they really love sinners around here. This section of that church back on this side got up and came forward and began to hug on that fellow. And I thought, they really love sinners around here. You know, I was like, what in the world's going on? I thought, this is awesome. He's getting saved. And the preacher said, come down here. And I said, what is it? He said, I said, he got saved, right? He goes, no, he didn't get saved. I said, well, what are you so excited about? He said, he grew up here. He said, he got saved when he was, I forget the age, but he was in Sunday school. He said, we hadn't seen him in a few years. And I talked to that fellow didn't have a tooth in his head. He said, I got away from God. He said, and I was just driving up this holler. That's where two hills come together. He said, I was just driving up this holler. He said, I saw the lights on in this church house and thought, you know what? I haven't been there in a while. I'm going to stop in and see what they're doing. Wow. He said, and I sat on that back road tonight. And he said, I tell you this. He said, God God, hold my heart. I got to get right with God. And that prodigal came back to God that night. Well, they'd been praying for him for a long time. Can I say, that was a wall. They said it wouldn't fall, but thank God one day it came tumbling down. All of us got to wade deep waters. All of us have to sit in the den of lions. Sometimes we got to march around walls that look like they won't fall. The Bible said in Job 14, one man that's born a woman is a few days and full of trouble. I read the other day uh, that our life is like April weather. There's sunshine and showers and that's just how it is. There's ups and downs and ins and outs and life throws curveballs at you. But can I say, Thank God walls come down. What walls are standing in your life? What big prayer request towers over you? What seemingly immovable object stands in your way? What is it? What's the burden? What's the disease? What's the financial trouble? Maybe it's the condition of our country. That seems like a wall in my life Uh, right now, and I know in in, in, in Christians in general. What a strange time, but also, also what an awesome time to be involved in gospel ministry. Amen. Man, what a wall! Can you imagine that? I mean, it's almost discouraging for me. I, I follow all these different political things on, on the internet. I was going to say on social media, but you'll get mad at me for being on. So, but anyway, uh, on. But I, I just, it's, I'm. Oh, anyway. Uh, so I follow, I follow all these different political things on there. And it's so negative, though. You look at the the legislation in our state. Did they ever legislate anything on the side of righteousness? Not lately. You ever felt like John the Baptist A voice crying in the wilderness, a voice. You look, You mentioned it this morning. I wonder what, and I never thought about it like this. But what political leaders in our nation are in church today? If there are any, it might have been for maybe a photo op or something like that. But in sincerity, how many of them were in church today? Where we were this week, I saw a couple different times when we went out to stores and things. Young people that had to been in high school still yet, but wearing uh, the gay pride flags and stuff on their body. We didn't even know about that kind of stuff when I was that age. Never heard of it before. I don't know. It just seems like, what are we going to do in five more years if things don't change? I mean, this building's not made to have this many people. It's made to have three times as many people in it. And I'm excited about what God's doing, but I'm depressed at the same time there's too many empty pews in this place. sure. And some of it's cause of fear, and it's cause we can't go fishing for me. I will just alliterate it all tonight. I mean, we can't, you can't go soul winning. I understand that. But this isn't God, what God wants. He wants this place busting at the seams and revival. Where was it the other day? I saw a picture. I think it was in your office. That picture from an anniversary day you have in there from in this church. I, what, what year? I mean, you remember that picture you have? And the whole balcony is full of people. 45th, uh, 35th, 35th. The whole... Whatever it is. But anyway, the whole balcony in 25th. The whole balcony is full of people. And the whole lower floor is full of people. And the side balconies are full of people. Yep. And when we came here back in it, it over it's been a year already, full of people. This isn't the way God wants it to be.
0: No. Nope.
1: But I'll tell you, it seems like a wall, doesn't it? But aren't you glad walls come down? Yep. Let me give you four statements. I won't preach it, I'm just gonna close. But let me let me give you these four statements. Consider it with me. Number one. You've got to rest your faith in the fact that God can knock down walls that you can't knock down. Amen. Joshua 6, 2 says, In the Lord's center of Joshua, see, I have given into thine hand Jericho, He didn't say, Joshua, it's going to be up to you. He said, Joshua, I'm the one who's going to give it to you. You take your Bible to Hebrews 11, verse 30. It says, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. Jeremiah 32, 27, behold, I am the Lord, the God of all flesh. Is there anything too hard for me? Thank God he can do things you can't. You know why sometimes we give up hope? It's because we're trying to estimate the situation from our ability. Quit looking at whatever it is through the lens of what you can do and understand that it's not what you can do, it's what he can do through your life. I can do all things through Christ, which me. I can't get that lost man saved, but the Holy Ghost of God can. I can't bring back a prodigal son, but the Holy Spirit of God can. I can't usher in revival, but the Holy Spirit of God can. I can't turn America around, but the hand of God can. And thank God it is overwhelming. I think maybe God had them march around so many days so they'd pick up on the fact, we can't do this by ourselves. We can't knock these walls down. And maybe it hit them about the seventh day. We're going to have to have God do this thing. Hey, don't quit praying. Don't give up on God. He is able. He's able. I'm Know, my Lord is able to carry me through. Jericho's a big city. Jericho's a big obstacle. But thank God it's not as big as God. And God can bring the walls down. Some things can't be solved or settled by the power of men. It has to have the help of God. Number two, realize that no matter how long or lonely your march is, thank God for this, you don't march it alone. Joshua 6, 4, look at your Bible. And seven priests shall bear before the ark, see that? Seven trumpets of ram's horns. In the seventh day, you shall pass the city seven times, and the priests shall blow with the trumpets. They're not marching around the city by themselves, but the ark is going with them every lap of the march. You say, "What's the ark? It represents the presence of God. It's the power of God. It's the provision of God. It's the promise of God. The ark is mentioned 11 times in this chapter. God walked every mile of the march with his children. You study out the ark, the wood. It talks about Jesus' humanity. There's gold. It talks about Christ's deity. There's other marks of it, all of it, the mercy. See, everything, it points to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see this in the wilderness wanderings, the presence of God. Thank God he leads them wherever they go. He walks with them every step of the journey. The presence of God is there. And I believe probably in the life of Israel, they didn't know what God was doing, but they sure didn't know where he was. And there might be times in your life when you don't know what God is doing, but you never have to doubt where he is. And I'm glad he said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. You say, where is it? He's right there on the water when Simon's getting ready to sink. You say, where is it? He's right there in the graveyard of Bethany when Lazarus is dead. You say, where is he? He's right there on the well in Sychar when the Samaritan woman needs living water. You say, where is he? He's right there in Jerusalem when Nicodemus needs to get born again. You say, where is he? He's right there when that manic of Gadara needs to have his sense and some clothes put on him. Say amen right there. You say, where is he? He's right there when Bartimaeus needs his eyes opened. You say, where is he? He's right there in the fiery furnace when the Hebrew children think they're going to be toast. You say, where is he? He's right there in that den of lions with Daniel. Where is he? He's right there in the Mamertine prison with Paul. You say, where is he? He's right there in the Isle of Patmos with John. You say, where is he? He's right there in the upper room with fearful disciples. You say, where is he? He's right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying uh, for the will of God. You say, where is he? He's right there on Calvary dying for my sins. You say, where is he? Thank God I'll tell you where he's not. He's not in the tomb anymore. You say, where is he? He's with you every step of the journey. He said, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. And I'm glad he's there in the deliverer room. But thank God he's also there in the funeral parlor. He's there uh, in happy times. He's also there in the emergency room. You'll never go anywhere that God's not already there. Keep marching. You say, it's so lonely. Press on. You're not marching by yourself. Statement number three. I like this one. Refrain from speaking until the right time to speak while you're marching. Joshua 6, verse number 5. And it shall come to pass, in the first part of the verse, that when they make a long blast with the ram's horn and when you hear the sound of the trumpet, he said, then, not until then, all the people shall shout with a great shout. Once you hear this statement, one of the biggest tests in the Christian life is the test of silence. Keeping your mouth shut until the right time to say something. The battle, a lot of times, is with our tongue. We like to talk about how bad it is, we like to talk about how bitter we are, we gotta like to talk about how hurt we've been. We like to talk about how much God has missed the mark and let us down and made the wrong move. But here's the, here's the verse, Job 1, 1. And all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. The best form of communication, especially when you're marching around walls, is prayer. Psalm 141, verse 3, said, a watch, O Lord, before my mouth. Keep the door of my lips. God's plan to take Jericho involved walking, but it also, I mentioned this earlier, involved waiting. And the most important thing to do while you're waiting, waiting is to watch your words. And that's a trial. I remember getting so, not, not, not bitter, or not upset, but just so discouraged in life at certain times, wondering, what is God doing? Yeah, right. And not, not necessarily mad at God, but wondering what God's doing. Sometimes you think you can maybe make a better decision than God. I remember that in ministry. remember that in life. What are you doing? But can I say, you gotta watch what you say in the heat of this march. Yes. And you wait till the right time. And when God says, shout, then you shout Because if you shout too soon You're going to mess it up And say something you wish you wouldn't have It's sort of like this illustration I read this illustration There was a barber This barber got saved Man he was such a soul winner He's stirred up about it He wanted to win a soul to Christ He was shaving this man's face With a straight razor He thought I've got to win a soul to Christ He just got saved And had that straight razor Right there at his neck And he said hey if you died today Are you ready to meet the Lord You've got to watch what you say Say it at the right time and the last statement is this Thank God that he loves you enough to give you some walls. Because if you didn't have any walls, you wouldn't have any victory. Victory is not the absence of an enemy. It's the defeat of an enemy. Victory is not the absence of opposition. It's overcoming opposition. Victory is not the absence of adversity. It's overcoming adversity. No flood, no Noah. No giant, no David. No pit, no Joseph. No Egypt, no Moses. No fiery furnace, no Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. No upper room, no, uh, no disciples on Pentecost. No Roman prison, no Paul. No Calvary, no resurrection. Yeah. Dwight Eisenhower said this, there are no victories at discount prices. And I'll say it like this, there's no great Christians at discount prices either. You say, why did God give me this burden? Why? Because he wants you to have a great victory. When God gives you a wall, he's giving you opportunity. I read this poem and I'll close. You maybe have heard it before. It's helped me yesterday, night, yesterday evening. It says When the cup is turned to wormwood and the wormwood turns to gall, when your walking turns to stumbling and the stumbling to a fall, when you've climbed above the mountains, yet the Alps rise rough and tall, don't quit. When the path ahead is crooked and the road's too rough to tread, and the best upon the table is replaced by sorrow's bread, when you've crossed some troubled waters, yet Amara's just ahead, don't quit. When the vultures have descended and disturbed your downy nest, when sweet fruit has changed to thistle while the thorns disturb your rest, when a deep to deep is calling and when failure seems your best, don't quit. When the Lord has cleansed the table, then he takes away the fat and the best wine has been taken till you find an empty vat. When another fills the throne room or once you proudly set, don't quit. When your health is feeling sickly and the medicine tastes bad, when your fellowship is lonely and your happiness is sad, When your warmth is getting colder and in clouds your sunshine's clad, don't quit. When you find your wins are losses and that all your gains are lax, when ill things never come alone and your trouble runs in packs, when your soul's bruised and battered from the tempter's fierce attacks, don't quit. Be not weary in well doing, for due seasons bring the grain. He who on the Lord hath waited shall never run in vain. The just man falleth seven times yet riseth up again. Don't quit. I'm so glad that we have Joshua chapter 6. And I'm glad they didn't quit on day 1. And I'm glad they didn't quit on day 2. And I'm glad they kept marching through day 3. And I'm glad they marched on day 4. And I'm glad they had enough faith in God to march on day 5. And I'm glad they had enough faith in God and dependence on God and obedience in their heart to march on the next day. And on that last day, the day when victory came, they had to do it seven times. Talk about a trial of faith, but you know what they did? They kept marching and the walls fell. Whatever it is in your life tonight that you say, that's my wall, I want to encourage you, don't you quit. You keep praying, you keep working, you keep marching, and God can bring down the wall.
0: Thank you for listening to the Audio Preaching Podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us,